You're listening to a lonely gay boy and his co-host discuss horror movies, and not the good ones. A horror enthusiast podcast in which me, a lonely gay boy, and my co-host discuss horror movies, and not the good ones. Thanks for tuning in, new friend. Welcome back to the show, listener. I hope you had a fantastic week. If you didn't, maybe, you know, take some time out for yourself and and soak your feet with some Epsom salts or whatever. I have big news. I've finally settled on the name I'm going to go by for my online persona. Well, I'm sure it'll be great and not one that you'll have to change again. Let's hear it. Thanks for the support. From now on, you can call me Peter Parker Smith. Um, Kevin? That's Peter Parker Smith, co-host. And and what? How did you come up with that name? I was being sort of naughty. You know, Peter is a common euphemism for a dick. So, you know, it's... It's alliteration. Uh, Peter Parker means someone who parks dicks, right? Like, you can park your dick in my hand, or my mouth, <laughs> or my bum. That's, that's pretty naughty. Peter Parker is the name of Spider-Man. Well, I thought that was Tom Holland, or Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire. Or if you want some deep cuts, Drake Bell, Reeve Carney, or Hudson Thames. Not the actors, or the voice actors, or Broadway actors. Peter Parker is the character's real name. Oh, okay. Do, do a lot of people know that? I mean, besides Willem Dafoe? Yes. Guess it's back to the drawing board for me, then. Don't try to force it. The right choice will come naturally, I'm sure. Not helpful. (laughs) I abhor that sound. And you know what that sound means, dear listener? It's time for us to talk about the greatest regrets in our lives. (laughs) Regrets? Well... I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. (laughs) Well, if you're not going to take this fucking seriously, then we'll just move on. No, it's not that. I just wasn't prepared to... And that sound means it's time for tongue twisters. I'm game. How does this work? Well, We'll do tongue twisters until one of us breaks. Well, well, I'll start. Well, my, my dad taught me this first one. Of all the saws I ever saw, I never saw a saw just like the saw I saw in Arkansas. That saw can outsaw any saw you or I ever saw. Hmm, you've started with a high bar indeed. Well, here's one. 
Betty Botter bought some butter, but she said, Butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. But a bit of better butter will make my batter better. So twas better Betty Botter bought a bit of better butter. Well, I am not the pheasant plucker. I'm the pheasant plucker's mate. I am only plucking pheasants because the pheasant plucker's late. Brisk, brave brigadiers brandished broad, bright blades, blunderbusses, and bludgeons, balancing them badly. If you must cross a coarse cross cow across a crowded cow crossing, well, cross the cross coarse cow across the crowded cow crossing carefully. Imagine an imaginary menagerie manager managing an imaginary menagerie. Send toast to ten tents, stout saints as ten tall tents. Rory the warrior and Roger the warrior were weird wrongly in a rural brewery. Six sick hicks nick six slick bricks with picks and sticks. To that I say the sixth six sheiks sixth of fuck it. You win this round, Peter Parker Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all knew I would. <coughs> well, okay, that sound means shut it. It's time we get to this week's episode. It's a doozy. Voodoo Academy was released by Full Moon in 2000. Fans will know them as the studio behind the Puppet Master franchise. Oh, Puppet Master. There's a few of those we could watch for this podcast. Yeah. Some of them are on the list, assuming we do more seasons. So, before we get into talking about how bad Voodoo Academy is, and it's real bad, I want to talk about how cool filmmaker David Dakota is. Well, he's made about... 500 movies since the 1980s, uh, and he's been openly gay since forever. Uh, he's a huge movie nerd who works in all genres, and he's passionate about movies. He's discovered a bunch of young actors and, and given work to older screen queens that, you know, most people in Hollywood are, are happy to discard. He has a great sense of humor and has made fun of himself in the Evil Bong and the Ginger Dead Man series. Uh, Greg Sestero of The Room fame has talked about Dakota and his team being just about the nicest and most supportive crew he's ever worked with when he starred in Retro Puppet Master. That said... Well, that said, uh, David Dakota makes cheap movies that make money. Well, that's a skill. You know, I, I can't do that. I can't make an 80-minute movie in one day that's guaranteed to make a profit. No way, no how. I'll give Voodoo Academy this. It came out when people actually cared about home releases. Dakota put together an uncut edition that's several minutes longer, and it includes behind-the-scenes features a 14-minute blooper reel, and a full director's commentary that's basically a crash course 
in Filmmaking 101. It's always nice to see how much love went into making a cheap little movie like this. Indeed. And now that that's all out of the way, should we start bad-mouthing the movie now? Let's have at it. We open on a mansion during a thunderstorm at night. And then inside, a woman is slowly undressing a college student. Well, and he's wearing a school blazer. Meanwhile, this voyeuristic muscle priest is rubbing his chest and removing his collar, watching the woman undress the boy. Not a porno. Highly sacrilegious, but not a porno. Muscle Priest is jacked and really into it, and, and off comes the pants, and a nice close-up of the student's white Hanes boxer briefs. And, of course, his basket. <laughs> I, I, I love the term basket for the bulge and the, and the briefs. It, it makes me laugh. Well, of course, the student's wearing a cross necklace to further hit on the religious aspect. Muscle Priest ties him down to an altar in just his briefs, socks, and necklace. And, and he's kind of confused, and the lightning's going crazy. Muscle Priest puts on white plastic gloves like he's going to fistfuck the kid, but instead he picks up a bottle of unholy water and pours it on him. Then he has to rub it in real good. And the woman, she's wearing all black, except a red belt. So that means she's satanic. She has this headless voodoo doll, surrounded by candles. And she does some voodoo magic that connects it to the student. It looks like the CGI was made in the early 1980s, and not 2000. Then the kid, he spits up blood. Then he's dead. Indeed. Muscle Priest and the woman are upset he wasn't pure. And she's worried that there's only five subjects left, but Muscle Priest says he'll get a new student in, so they'll have a sixth option. Well, that's it. That's the whole opening scene. Uh, then we hit the credits, which are just early 2000s gay porno close-up shots of hot 20-somethings in suits in front of stained glass windows and red candles. They sure are pretty to look at. The opening's not terrible. We get a basically off-screen kill, but the villains are set up and it's not unsexy. Muscle Priest isn't a terrible actor. Well, it always impresses me how long the credits are for some truly awful movies. A whole lot of people put in a lot of time and energy, you know, to make this. Speaking of the credits, uh, since we watched the extended version that has more shots of the boys touching themselves, you'll notice in this cut, director David Dakota is credited by his real name, but in the original shorter version, he goes by the name Richard Chasen, as in Dick Chasing. <laughs> no, that can't be real. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> we are 11 minutes into this film, 
and so far some unnamed character was killed off screen, and that is all that has happened. Consider that, that's half a sitcom. Well, we cut to daytime, and Riley Smith shows up to the Carmichael Bible College in his finest slicked back hair and suit and tie from 2000, so everything's a little oversized. Turns out this mansion is a Bible college. And uh, fun fact for y'all, Riley Smith, who stars in this movie, well, he worked with David Dakota before, and so this role was written for him in mind as... The whole movie was supposed to be a whole vehicle for him to star in. Uh, the movie they did before was called Alien Arsenal, a.k.a. Teenage Alien Avengers. As mentioned, Dakota does have an eye for young actors. Uh, he discovered the new Superman years ago, even before Teen Wolf. He found Finn from Glee. Uh, he even spotted one of the Survivor winners. And Riley Smith has gone on to have a wonderful career. Most notably, he's been on 24, Joan of Arcadia, Drive, The New 90210, True Blood, True Detective, The Messengers, Nashville, Life Sentence, Proven Innocent, and now The New Nancy Drew. Yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive, and it's all thanks to Voodoo Academy. So Riley goes inside, and he gets interviewed by Mrs. Bouvier, who throws in a few sexual innuendos, and she does her best not to look at the camera while delivering her lines. The Carmichael Bible College is quote-unquote new and unconventional. And so it has a staff of two and a student body of six. So all very normal. The curriculum is a mix of hard science and traditional religious studies. Even though they're not even accredited, so very experimental. But, but very normal. And Riley's doing his best to not show it, to not telegraph it. But Riley wants to bang her so bad. Well, she likes what she sees, and she says he's in. While Mrs. Bouvier explains that she does all of the cooking for the boys, the boom mic operator gets excited, and we see the microphone dancing across the top of the screen. Well, you were watching the boom. I was listening to the rich, deep backstory. Turns out Professor Miles Bouvier discovered the ingredients to zombie powder in Haiti, and he bought the dorm building from a nearby college to turn it into his laboratory. Mrs. Bouvier, his widow, inherited the building and turned it into the Carmichael Bible College. Oh, sure. They're all devout members of Reverend Carmichael's religion. You may know him as Reverend Carmichael, but he'll always be muscle priest to me. At least they do what every good horror film of 2000 should do, and point out that it's a religion for the new millennium. You can't make a horror movie in 1999 and not talk about the millennium. Oh no, the calendar is changing over. That's scary. <laughs> oh, sure. 
And this is when Mrs. Bouvier introduces Riley to the five religious students. And the camp comedy turns into gold. We've got Hunky Rusty, and he's working out shirtless, but still wearing his cross necklace. Well, he's got to get pumped up so he can play the gay cheerleader and bring it on. Well, the other three are studying, but Flaming Billy is clearly the rebel because he's not wearing his tie. And he's got on the... <gasps> he's, he's on the internet. Well, he's on some Sci-Fi Academy chat room. Riley might be a paranoid conspiracy nut, because at the mention of the internet, he casually turns behind himself and glances at the camera. Then we also get to meet Stuck Up Mike, Christian Rocker Sam, and Anti-Social Paul. Here's a bit of a problem with the film. You have a protagonist who's a dirty blonde. Flaming Billy is a blonde class clown. It's easy enough to keep these two characters separate. You also have Hunky Rusty, who's very muscular. But the other three characters are black-haired, athletic, 20-year-olds who are white and wear identical suits. How is anyone supposed to keep these characters separate? Um, I don't know. I guess you're just gonna watch the movie like five times back to back, and then you get to know all the distinct characteristics that the poor working actors try to instill in their characters because the, the writer didn't really bother. Fair enough. Well, that's when Mrs. Bouvier leaves so Riley can settle into the dorm. Uh, then all the other religious studies boys razz him, sort of, by, by not really doing all that much. Except Flamin' Billy, who talks about Crisco, as if it's not some cheap lube that the gays use. The boys explain to Riley that they're all super straight-laced. Even Flaming Billy doesn't download pornography off the dreaded internet. The thing is, they're all sort of sad about it and wistful. They wish that they were all more exciting. So, like, just do it. Download that porn. Well, yeah, but, but somehow I think... Flame and Billy, uh, and the other kids, well, they, they would like different porn. I wouldn't be so surprised if some of the other boys weren't of the same inclination. Yeah. So that's when they go to the classroom, and we see that it's a small church with two rows of chairs. Muscle Priest welcomes Riley and answers our questions. He's the founder of the Neurocystic Christianity Church, which is made up for this movie. Neurocystic? Sounds as if it has something to do with neuroscience. But neurocystic cirrhosis is a parasitic infection of the brain. This is either a complete coincidence or very subtle foreshadowing. Well, Muscle Priest, he brags to Riley that he's tough but fair, while he caresses one of the other boy's shoulders, uh, then another boy's knee. Well, it's never uncomfortable to watch clergymen touch their students. This creepy touching turns on the boom mic operator, 
because we see the boom mic dancing along the top of the screen again. Well, he's just stoked to have a full roster of six, as if this is Hogwarts. And like Hogwarts, Muscle Priest turns to magic, because he informs them he has a confession box that's scientifically sound, and will do some gobbly gook to make them pure. Hunky Rusty's pretty sure he's already pure, but a, a little light petting from Muscle Priest reassures him that he's prideful and, and he needs to confess. Hunky Rusty immediately goes into the booth that's full of these electromagnets, while Muscle Priest dismisses the other students and enters the other one. The moment Muscle Priest is out of the shot, the boys turn into bickering queens, and Flaming Billy brings up candy canes in their asses. The boom mic is eager to pick up this choice dialogue and reminds us that this is all a movie. Um, what was that about a candy cane in, in someone's ass? Keep it down, Mike. He's gonna hear you. <sighs> Bullshit. What did you just say? You ain't got a candy cane out of your ass, Mike. Well, all right then. Why is Flaming Billy even there? He's the class clown rebel who argues with the others and uses curse words like bullshit and piss. But these are supposed to be goody-goody-two-shoe Christian students. So... Yeah, even Riley asks why Flaming Billy is there. So, so I guess nobody knows. So Riley's surprised that Muscle Priest has an electricity-filled confession booth, since none of his writings have mentioned it, and it sounds a little bit like Scientology. Yet, when the other boys are also surprised, Riley decides to go on the defense and explain it away. He both is surprised and is also knowledgeable. Great writing! Well, that's when Muscle Priest emerges from the confession, and he chastises stuck-up Mike for being stuck-up. And Hunky Rusty comes out a second later with his clothes all disheveled and looking half-zombified, claiming he feels great. Well, sure, a balanced breakfast and a mindfuck will do that to you. Muscle Priest dismisses them to study his dissertation on electromagnetism in their dorm for an hour until dinner. So, of course, we cut to Flaming Billy taking a bath and Riley chatting him up in his towel. But, of course, we need to work in a, a little more exposition between two characters. So let's have these straight boys chatting well, one of them is taking a nice, relaxing sponge bath. That tracks. Well, I, I ain't complaining. Flamin' Billy plays Hedonist Bot while he explains Mrs. Bouvier is the money behind the college. Well, then they spend a, a couple minutes justifying why the showers don't work, uh, so we don't question this whole communal bathtub scene. I mean, I wasn't going to question it anyway. There is something almost charming about it that I can't quite place my tongue on, but I'm sure you would like to try. <laughs> yeah. So Flamin' Billy gossips that dead boy Blake from the opening scene 
while he was stooping Mrs. Bouvier. Turns out, Flamin' Billy is only here because his parents are religious nuts who wouldn't let him be a doctor. So they were going to send him to, quote, Jesus Land in Florida, or to the Carmichael Bible School. Uh, but I think he's talking around conversion therapy, right? It wouldn't surprise me. Additionally, Flaming Billy does refer to this as getting the shaft. So they splash each other, and Flaming Billy uh, jokingly comes on to stock up Mike uh, when he comes in wearing just his towel and brushing his teeth. At this point, Flaming Billy wishes he got the shaft from stuck-up Mike. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when we see that Mrs. Bouvier is spying on them from a candlelit alcove through the vents. It's, uh, it's very psycho. Nothing like a very bad movie referencing one of the very best. Well, then we go to dinner time, and the boys, uh, minus Hunky Rusty, head down for dinner. Flaming Billy and stuck-up Mike will get into it, uh, so Christian Rocker Sam plays Mama to placate them. Well, Hunky Rusty shows up in shorts and a tank top with a very different kind of casual, well, fuck it attitude. The transformation here could be a reference or homage, if you will, to Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Hunky Rusty's change in attitude and appearance mirroring the pod people. Well, oh, oh sure, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of that. So Mrs. Bouvier, she serves the boys dinner and wine. Uh, well, then she badmouths dead student Blake. Oh, they cheers the wine, but Riley refuses to, to he just sticks to water since he doesn't like wine. Uh, and Mrs. Bouvier proves that she's the villain of this film when she won't let Flaming Billy drink Riley's glass. Right? Is she just going to let a perfectly good glass of mental mindfuck wine go to waste? Tsk tsk, Mrs. Bouvier. Well, okay, here we go. Here's the, uh, the famous part of the movie. A 16-minute sequence that, that should only take about four. And it is delicious in its bizarreness. Well, we cut to the middle of the night. And it's storming outside, but inside, it's about to get hot. The boys are fast asleep in their dorm room, but for some reason, well, there's a ton of red candles burning all around. The six boys uh, share this one big room, and Riley wakes up to watch the other five kick off their blankets and caress themselves in their sleep. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's what happens in this movie. Are they having nightmares? Or are they having wet dreams? You know, we, we just don't know. To quote Dr. Frankenfurter, they're having erotic nightmares beyond any measure and sensual daydreams to yeah, you don't dream it, you, you should be it.
That, that's a great message. And, but I don't, I don't think that's quite what they're going for here. I, I think, you know, to quote the Divinals, Well, I don't want anybody else When I think about you, I touch myself Oh, I don't want anybody else Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no So the five young studs writhe and breathe all heavy as they rub their chests and stomachs in their tight white briefs while Riley is just as confused as the audience is. And Mrs. Bouvier spies on them through a cross on the wall. Finally, something happens when Hunky Rusty sleepwalks out of there, so of course Riley follows him. Hunky Rusty reaches Mrs. Bouvier's room, and at her mention of coming, the boom mic dips back into view like it's having its own nocturnal emission. Riley searches for Hunky Rusty while Mrs. Bouvier seduces him, uh, even though he's half asleep. Muscle Priest pops out of nowhere and he leads Hunky Rusty away. In case you forgot about the other four boys, they're still sleeping and moaning while they writhe in bed, caressing their own bodies. Flaming Billy was making fun of one of the guys for having perky nipples earlier, but he's pretty sweaty now and his own nipples are pointing toward the ceiling. Or should I say, boom mic. Well, that's when Hunky Rusty gets strapped to the table that Dead Blake was strapped to at the beginning of the movie, and, and then Muscle Priest and Mrs. Bouvier well, they try the ritual all over again. We cut to the same fisting gloves, the wine, the massage, all of this while the other boys are bulging out in their beds. Only this time, the headless voodoo doll, bad 80s CGI, works, and Hunky Rusty's head is transplanted onto the doll in miniature form. And it's a little unclear, is, is Hunky Rusty dead? I do not know. He's sort of struggling mutely in a tiny head. Uh, whether he can survive this or not is anyone's guess. Well, either way, Muscle Priest and Mrs. Bouvier consider it a success, while Riley is still slowly ascending the stairs. Well, he hides and overhears... Uh, the villains do their villain talk. Well, and once they leave, Riley discovers more headless voodoo dolls. Well, he, he hears a noise, and he books it back to his room. We never see the other four boys' climax. One star. Well, okay, listener, this is Peter Parker Smith here. Well, for now, till I, till I continue the running gag and change it next time. Well, I want to say that now seems like the perfect time for an ad break. Well, especially uh, if Voodoo Academy were a stage show, and, and why, oh, why isn't it yet? Well, then this would be intermission. So, uh, okay, so here's this week's ad. Starting now. Oh, hello. Well, I didn't see you there. I was too busy lighting a hundred little red candles. 
Well, some may consider having literally dozens of small fires littered around your home while you sleep a fire hazard. But, but hey, you know, it's, it's kind of sexy and, and scary, so, so fuck safety. <laughs> am, I, am I right? This episode of A Lonely Gay Boy and his co-host discuss horror movies and not the good ones is brought to you by candles. Just, just you know, ra random little red candles. You can use them in voodoo rituals. You can use them when the power goes out. You can dip the hot wax on a sexual partner. Well, assuming you have consent. And maybe if you only ever feel alive by experiencing pain, you can drizzle the hot wax uh, into the palm of your hand. Th then you watch it harden and then you peel it off your skin and it hurts just a little, but it doesn't leave a permanent mark. So candles. Uh, Oh, and plus, you can make candles yourself and, and make them smell like anything you want to. You know, vanilla or, or orange or there's all sorts of different smells. You just got to be careful and it takes some practice to perfect. But yeah, fuck, fucking candles are cool. So get get some candles. Well, okay, so that, that was the ad. I really put a lot of work into this episode and honestly uh you know between us i'm i'm a little worried it's not li living up to my expectations so i sincerely hope you're enjoying this one well I, I can't stress enough how much i want you dear listener to enjoy the content uh, i'm doing my best to put out for you so if you, you don't mind taking a couple seconds and liking and commenting and sharing all that internet gobbledygook well, that'd be pretty all right in my book. Okay, back to the show. The next morning, Riley comes to breakfast and is shook to find Flamin' Billy all disheveled in a tank top, sweatpants, and his cross necklace. Riley mentions Hunky Rusty, and Flamin' Billy barely remembers him. Okay, so here's a problem. We, the audience, just watched Riley investigate in his white briefs for roughly five minutes of screen time. Then they dedicate three full minutes of him telling Flaming Billy what we just saw. Nothing new is learned in the scene. Nothing. Well, yeah, besides the fact that Flamin' Billy's all sort of zombified, too. But they, they could have been talking about anything, and we would have, and we would have seen that. At this point, there's a shot of them at the table, and you can barely see into a side room at the very right edge of the screen. And there's either a crew member milling around, or Mrs. Bouvier waiting for her cue to enter the scene. Well, well, maybe that's not an error at all. Maybe it's just a, a quick glimpse of Mrs. Bouvier's being a creeper. Uh, but no, you're right. It's, it's a mistake. So the other three boys, they come down for breakfast, all in sleeveless tops with messy hair and completely new attitudes. And then that's when Mrs. Bouvier comes down and and she compliments the boys and explains that Hunky Rusty got caught smoking the marijuana cigarettes. So he was promptly expelled. 
Well, Riley doesn't buy it, and he shies away from her touch and her wooden acting. Do you know how you can tell that this is a Christian school? Um, well, how? Because whenever they cut to new scenes, there's a brief shot of the exterior, and we see Aslan the Jesus Lion out front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lion. So, so Muscle Priest, he starts class in the tiny chapel. And the boom operator is actually paying attention, because we only see the microphone shadow. However, Stuck Up Mike is sitting in the front pew, except for one shot in which he's casually standing behind everyone else. I thought I was smoking one of Hunky Rusty's marijuana cigarettes for a second, but nope, it's just a bizarre continuity error. Well, yeah, because as punishment for simultaneously existing in two places at once, Muscle Priest tells Stuck Up Mike to go into the confessional with him. But this time, we go inside, too. T turns out it's an altar boy's nightmare of uncomfortable close-ups, sensual talking, and flashing lights through the dark. Muscle Priest asks Stuck Up Mike about touching himself at night, and while this turns on the young Christian student enough to rip off his shirt and rub his chest with his eyes clenched shut, and yes, he gets so worked up that he starts sucking on his cross necklace. Yeah, you just kind of, you just kind of describing it? Well, that doesn't really do it justice, because it, it, it's pretty odd. So that, that's when Muscle Priest, he starts speaking with Mrs. Bouvier's voice, as she magically takes his spot in, in verbally seducing the young man, so we don't get too gay. Yes, for some reason, all homoerotic content must remain subtextual. Barely subtextual. Stuck up Mike, he has a total submissive streak, so she orders him to come visit her later that night. Meanwhile, Riley's still trying to convince the other three that there's voodoo shenanigans going on. Well, they don't believe him. So Flamin' Billy, he even rats him out to Muscle Priest, who clutches his pearls and plays the victim. Flaming Billy decides that Riley should be punished in what feels like a very sadomasochistic way. And everyone agrees, so Riley gets locked in a closet for several hours. Even more subtext. Night falls, and we see antisocial Paul in the bathtub. Muscle Priest sneaks up behind him and gives him a chest massage and wine courtesy of Mrs. Bouvier. We're pretty much out of the subtext now, I guess. Well, Andy Social Paul, he's turned on real good, but then Muscle Priest, he pours wine on his face, and then bad CGI purple lights turn Antisocial Paul into a little voodoo figurine. The wine bottle is tilted at Muscle Priest's crotch, and the twink looks like he's getting an unexpected facial. <laughs> well, yeah... So the, the actor's tiny head on a voodoo body, well, that's not a terrible effect. 
Well, I do appreciate they have they have them just sort of look looking horrified and twitching instead of actually speaking or screaming. True. The effect could be worse. That doesn't mean it's fantastic. It's hours later, and Riley's still trapped in the closet like R. Kelly, only he's not pissing on anyone. Well, he, he gets a little MacGyver action going, and he uses his necklace to pick the lock. Well, Riley peeps in on the dorms like Norman Bates, and he sees the other three boys having more of their erotic nightmares rubbing themselves, but not each other for some reason I still can't fathom. It feels like Riley is looking into a projector at earlier in this film, since it's the same footage of those three boys. Oh, sure, but I, but I ain't complaining. So stuck up Mike, he, he gets all voodooed out this time, and he sleepwalks up to Mrs. Bouvier's room in his undies. Riley just spies on him, enjoying some praise kink from Mrs. Bouvier. Then Muscle Priest ties down stuck-up Mike while Mrs. Bouvier pours wine all over him, and, and Riley still does nothing. He's the least active protagonist I can think of. He's just the total voyeur. He doesn't even react when Mrs. Bouvier grows horns and black demon fingernails, and her voice goes down five octaves. I don't know about you, but I can't stand when they modulate actors' voices so they sound deeper. <laughs> yeah, good good thing you don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, okay, so with about six minutes left, the villain finally reveals what's going on. Mrs. Bouvier is going to offer some demon lord the six voodoo doll boys, and in return, she'll get to lord over all the undead buried on Earth and turn them into a zombie army to take over the world. Only, we know that won't happen because they don't have the budget for any of that stuff. It's shoddy special effects time, and stuck-up Mike gets turned into a voodoo boy just like the others. Well, Muscle Priest, he grabs Riley in what can only be described as sexually charged. And Riley, who has just watched Mrs. Bouvier turn into a demon and explain her entire plan, well, he asks, what is going on? It's not complicated, Riley. They're sacrificing virgins to raise a zombie army. In a shocking twist, Riley reveals that she can't use him in her ritual because he's not a virgin. Well, I assume that happened sometime after we cut away from him bonding with Flame and Billy in the bathtub. So Riley slips out of his bonds. Mrs. Bouvier shoots purple magic at him, but he uses his deflowered super strength to duck it, and she hits the magic wine bottle instead. Well, it, it explodes wine over her and Muscle Priest. Well, that's when Flame and Billy and Christian Rocker Sam come running into the room, still in their undies. But the zombie spell's broken, so they're back to normal. Only, they're really freaked out by what they see, and Flame and Billy has the best reaction ever. Let's play the clip. 
You ruined everything, you little bastard! What the fuck's going on here? I, I don't know, but we don't want to stick around and find out. Come on, let's go. What the fuck is going on indeed? This is the most realistic response anyone has in this movie. So the boys realize Riley was right all along. So Mrs. Bouvier and Muscle Priest, well, they get transformed, and both their heads are shrunk and stuck to the same voodoo doll. Well, and Flamin' Billy apologizes for not believing Riley, and he says it's okay, uh, because he was going to go to business school anyway. The end. That's really how the movie ends, all right. A joke about business school. It's such a bad joke that it really cracks me up. If only the rest of the movie had the same sort of... Fuck, I will never get used to that scream. Why is that? It reminds me of this one night in August, 1983. Sometimes, I can still hear the screams along a gentle breeze. Well... I'm not going to touch that one with a ten-foot pole. Anyway, well, that sound means that it's the end of our episode. Well, for once, I'm kind of sad because I think there's a lot more to discuss about Voodoo Academy. I'll posit a question. Since Dakota is able to make these shoestring budget movies work, would they be better with bigger budgets? Or would they lose their charm? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, wh what would Voodoo Academy even look like with a big budget? Well, the picture wouldn't be grainy. Uh, they would have had more setup time, which means, you know, more rehearsals and, and fewer boom mics. So, you know, better performances and, and less mistakes. True. You certainly enjoyed this one more than I did, but I'd have to say if this movie was technically better, it would be far less memorable. Oh, yeah, less less memorable for sure. Well, maybe it's the drawbacks that make it so much fun. Well, that's, that's interesting. Well, I guess the only thing that's left is your final thoughts. Go! Off-the-cuff thoughts? Oh, sure. There's a bizarre sense of restraint that permeates the film that I can't quite pinpoint. The film is bonkers, but it's never allowed to totally let itself free. I'm not saying it needs to be a campy, softcore movie, but take one element and dial that up to 11. Let's hear the Christian rockers' music. Let's see them grind against each other. There's some intentional humor that weaves in and out, but why not embolden that? Lean into the B-movie feel. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, okay, I'm done now. Well, this was real fun and all, but I gotta send a letter to my prison pen pal and then get back to sitting alone in my room. Fair enough. It's been fun as always. Fare thee well. 
Oh, and uh, before we go, listener, uh, next episode, we're covering The Creeping Terror from 1964. Cannot wait. It turns out, listener, uh, that I've been having some timing problems ending the show. Uh, I, I cut it off too late or too early. So this week, I am going to nail it. I, for one, have nothing but faith in you. Okay, then. So the show is over. Three, two, one. Now. Now.